Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. From the cyber hub bunker in studio. You're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. All right, panel number two tonight. Carl Scafidi, CISO over at Encom. Chuck over at Deep Instinct. Welcome. How's it going, guys? Good. You guys are good. Doing well. Absolutely. Carl, like I've hyped up this entire like all day. I'm like, you guys <laughs> don't want to leave until Carl gets up here. I know, and you've really piped this up for the great prep that you gave me, like you know, a week and a half ago, James. That is not my fault. <laughs> and that is David <laughs> You know, it's about four thirty on a Friday. We were talking. He's like, you know, how's it going? I'm like. Interesting question to ask a CISO on a Friday afternoon, right? Because it's like, <laughs> yeah, we got the multiple fires, but they're kind of under control and stuff, but we're heading into the weekend. What's going to hit right now, right? It's always a Friday somewhere. Um, and then, you know, he sits there and goes, okay, here's the deal. We're doing a live podcast. I'm like, wait, what now? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this what's happening? He's like, what, Dave didn't talk to you? I was like, well, Dave, like three months ago, said you're interested in the panel. I said, yeah, sure, get me some info. He's like, all right, well, in 10 days, we're doing this thing. So here we are. So, yeah, he's being very modest. <laughs> Our topic is uh, you don't choose your threat model. Your threat model chooses you. That's the topic we've kind of taken on today. So this is going to be a little bit of a, wow, where's mine? What the hell? I'll remember that. What vendor do you work for again? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm gonna have to like beep those out, right? <laughs> All right, so we're talking about you don't choose your threat model, your threat model chooses you. Um, kind of you see a lot of people do this kind of threat modeling exercises, thinking one way, but really at the end of the day, um, we don't we don't get the choice. Like no one, like the hat, you know, the the criminals don't exactly email you and go. Do you prefer uh, ransomware, credential stuffing? Um, maybe we take advantage of an unpatched Microsoft system you still have uh, going on. 
Um, they don't ask that. That just kind of takes on. So, Carl, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, we, we talk about threats and, you know, threats is part of the formula. So we talked before some of the panels about risk, right? Risk. How do we get risk to the board? How do we get it to our risk committees? How do we get people to understand it? So obviously there's a lot of risk frameworks out there, you know, fair things like that. But at the simplest, you know, formula and equation of it, risk is threats times vulnerability times impact right so uh, a vulnerability without a threat you know is not going to be a high risk right a, a threat without a vulnerability as well is also not going to be a high risk so uh not being able to control your threats right who's coming after you uh is something that uh you really need to stay on top of right so from the way we look at it is okay what's our business and this is part of understanding the business what do we do what would somebody like um how would they like to take advantage of what we do as a business and come after it income we do a lot of gift cards right we're a fintech we do other payment processing and stuff like that but gift cards are essentially the the backbone of uh you know internet crime <laughs> and monetization so uh we, we've got a lot of people coming at us all the time and you know not all it's not always coming at our stuff right it's just coming at our customers a lot of things that we don't have direct control over so this is where threat modeling threat monitoring comes in where uh fraud you know we talked about that before you know where, where that comes into uh some responsibilities in the CISOs area um we have to be able to kind of defend forward a little bit and understand who's coming after a customer who may be helping them with this uh with victim assisted fraud to demonetize their you know thing that they bought or you know the gift card that somebody got not only you know uh, uh, also talking about the the other financial payment process that we have too but with the gift card stuff we need to be able to say wait this person stood this thing up this person gave away their stuff this is still a risk to us right we've got brand protection we've got uh brand reputation we've got uh, monetization we've got a lot of things that are looking at us and if we aren't staying up with our threats we're not going to be able to know which vulnerabilities we have to fix the most right everybody knows vulnerabilities thousands of them right how do you identify them right we, we talk about what's in the cloud what just comes out um every every new one right i think google project zero day right 2019 they had what 25 exploited tracked in the wild or maybe it's 20 in 2019 25 last year we're already at 44 in september of, of what's coming out yeah. right and those are you know real vulnerabilities that are are being exploited yeah. by those threats right so those vulnerabilities are coming out we can control the vulnerabilities when we fix them but if we can't realize what threats are coming after those vulnerabilities we're not going to be able to keep up and really prioritize what we need to do to fix things yeah to add to that microsoft's had 62 zero days so far this year that's Microsoft. We're in September, 62, zero days. Some of you guys can name like the big three, right? Proxy logon, right? Um, yeah, print nightmare. Keep going, right? Like if I text Brett now and I go, hey, name all 62 vulnerabilities, it's probably got him in some acronym, right? Again, Phil. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> enjoy your drink. Hang on, hang on. Enjoy your drink. I can read a cue. I'm, I'm good. I've been, you know, but when when you think of, you know, as as a practitioner now on on the deep instinct side, when you look mm -hmm. at kind of choosing, you know, kind of looking at a threat model, what what does that tell you? What is 
What is your takeaway from something like that? I guess um, earlier this week, I spent time with about 90 CISOs and CEOs and talking about what do you, what what threats keep you up and a large priority. I mean, they had a wide variety and it was from vulnerabilities of things you can't prevent, but also too, it was the speed to the cloud, how fast they're going to the cloud. It's no longer their four walls. What can we do about that? Um, what can we do to prevent it? We're not, who's monitoring it? Even with goes back to vulnerabilities and, and the risk there, who's patching it? Who's monitoring it for me? Who's doing that now? So a lot of questions around that. Um, they just don't know. Um, what direction to go? And then you have other ones out there too. Say, hey, I'm, I'm operating in third-party countries, and my guys are paid, you know, $100 a year. Somebody walks with a $100 bill, they're going to give them their password and credentials. That, that's a year's worth of salary for them. And I'm operating on, you know, 30-year-old AS400s. How, how do I get sleep around that? You know, and I'll, you know, city managers um, funding. You know, they're they're hearing about all this, you know, this new. Um, Funding coming down the pipe. They're hoping it's going to go to state. It's going to go to county. It's going to finally get to cities. But hey, I got to secure my waterworks. I got to secure right. this stuff. So it's the risk that they have, and then you know, praying for this money because they've been running so lean for so long. They know what they need to do, but they don't have the funding or the staff to do it. And you know, security staffing, like you guys covered in the previous panel, huge, huge one. They can't afford a lot of these companies and cities cannot afford the security staff they need because they go someplace else. The the, the turnover rate is so large. Yeah, one of the toughest roles to fill is cybersecurity in government because yeah. it doesn't pay, right? Yeah. Like, it really doesn't. Um, I've met, you know, CISOs for big cities who, when they tell me how much they make, I try not to laugh, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's hard not to. When we, when we kind of look at, you know, your, your threat model, the vulnerabilities, and we talked a lot about vulnerabilities, and I'll kind of want to dig into that for just a little bit here, which is 62 zero days from Microsoft, 40 some odd from Google, Apple, for the, I think for the first time, they've had like back to back to back zero days within their OS. Um, part of it is NSO group, right? Part of it is the fact that there is an offensive cybersecurity market that kind of for a long time, people kind of almost ignored, right? Like these offensive cybersecurity companies, the only thing they're supposed to do is whatever you're doing, break it so that they can sell it to a government so that they can get it, right? And that market is now really out there for people to see. So you look at Apple, Google, Microsoft, that's, you know, the large, the, the three largest. And, um, you know, I do the practitioner brief every single day. I get bored about Android uh, vulnerabilities. I really do. Like, I can't deal with any more Android vulnerabilities. Like, if you own an Android, I pity the fool. Like, you should just have it on auto update, hooked to Wi-Fi and a charging cable all day long because that's pretty much how often you're going to need to update it to, to really take care of it. How do you start to really grasp vulnerability management? Well, I mean, it's which ones do you need to fix and prioritize because – you go back to threats and risks. So if you don't have a threat that's looking to exploit that vulnerability, is it really something you need to worry about? Because we all know we're, we're outgunned, right? We're under man. We've been paying these, uh, you know, ransomware operators in Bitcoin, you know, since it was $4 a Bitcoin. Now it's $50,000 a Bitcoin. And they're running multi-billion dollar 
enterprises, right? They're using machine learning. And the things that they don't have to worry about are compliances and regulations <laughs> and change control and things like that. So, uh, you know, they're coming after these things and we're not going to be able to fix everything. We know the vulnerabilities are always going to be there, whether it's technology, whether it's people, whether it's anything, there's always going to be a vulnerability. And we have to understand how do we just reduce our risk, right? And, you know, I take the follow the money approach, right? So how do we try and quantify this risk into dollars, right? That's what the risk committee wants to hear. That's what the board wants to hear, right? How do we reduce that from our financial impact? Um, understanding what's coming after your vulnerabilities, what's exposed and what layers of protection you may have, right? The other thing is the impact, right? And the impact is the finance, right? So when you figure right. out what the finance is of that system or that application, right? We talk about Androids. Okay. So Androids are always going to have vulnerabilities. What can happen if that Android gets exploited? Well, if you're, you know, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or something like that, or, you know, a billionaire, a lot can happen, right? Because a lot of stuff's on your phone and you'll probably be highly targeted, right? That's a high threat matrix, you know, type of attack there. But the normal Android person, they're probably going to get access to your email, right? They may be able to get some credentials and things like that. So um, when you look at who's burning zero days, right? And remember, zero days, they weren't a vulnerability until somebody popped it right and exploited it nobody knew about it so somebody's going to really burn a zero day if it's really really going to be valuable right and it's going to be high impact so that's where we got to keep tracking the risk and then figure out how to quantify what the dollars are based on that impact from those threats coming after those vulnerabilities that we know are a dime a dozen sure so you're, you're spot on i fully agree with you there also too it's, it's you know understanding the business, understanding the risk, understanding the financial impact of those vulnerabilities. Um, a lot of companies will come back and say, you know what, we have insurance. That's what insurance is for. And now with the requirements for getting cyber insurance are getting higher, they're requiring you to meet a certain bar, which is a good thing, but at the same time, it's getting harder to either talking to city managers and, and CISOs just this past week. They're having trouble meeting those requirements because they don't have the budget to meet those requirements. And then on top of that, you know, cybersecurity insurance right now, they're coming back saying, you know what, since Russia's harboring, these ransomware criminals, that's considered state-sponsored. That's state-sponsored. That's an act of war. We're not going to cover it. That's an exclusion. And then the insurance provider gets popped anyways. Yes, <laughs> right? Exactly. I, mean, was that? Uh, I, 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 yeah. I guess I won't name the company, but the one who yeah. got the, the $40 million ransomware, we were looking at, um, you know, they were the sure. largest underwriter we're, of yeah, cybersecurity we're, we're, insurance okay. in the country. Yeah, we were looking at expanding our, our coverage or something like that. And, you know, we were literally talking to them. And I sent an email to my you know, CIO and treasurer saying, hey, I think we can get a discount on this premium right now. Based on this, they get the news. I took a screenshot of the Twitter post and sent that along. So, oh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then, you, then you tie in, you know, where I like to go back to bring deep instinct to it is there's always going to be vulnerabilities. There's always going to be things out there. Prevent them. Once that dropper gets into your environment through that vulnerability or through misconfiguration of insider, whatever else that compromise have a prevention technology in there like deep instinct to stop it, stop it from even happening. Arbitrary shell code, um, PowerShell, all the normal ones they're using right now, There's you can prevent that now. And that's just kind of rethinking, going back, adding that to your security layer to help, you know, compensate for those vulnerabilities. Because a lot of times you can't, because of change control, this is going to cause, you know, I have to upgrade, I have to do something else, I need funding, or I can't do this for 60 days until, you know, I'm out of my holiday change window, that type of thing. 
have another technology in there to help prevent and protect you. Well, prevention only lasts so long, right? Because these threat actors, their TTPs are going to change. Their tactics yes, yes, absolutely. So, right, we want to present everything, prevent anything we can, but we know that's not viable, especially when we're trying to enable the business. So, I mean, take it to the house model, right? You know, you've got your, your doors, right? You can put 10 locks on your front door, right? That's going to be secure, I guess, you know, but it's going to be a pain in the ass when you want to go check your mail, right? You know, you're going to have other systems in there, your, your alarm system, your cameras, your lights, whatever. Um, you're only going to be able to prevent for so long, especially if you have an advanced attacker and a determined attacker, right? Since the dawn of time, nothing has withstood a determined attacker from getting to where they want to go, right? And, you know, this is human nature, right? You go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You know, after physiological sleep, food, water, right? Safety and security is number two. So humans want to be secure, but again, since the dawn of time and you know human evolution, somebody's worked really hard to create something, and then somebody's standing there and be like, "I'm just going to take it," right? And, and that's just a problem we're always going to be fighting against. And I don't think we're ever going to solve people, right? Nobody ever has. So how do we build something that's going to be preventative enough to make it so that we can react enough, so that we can continue living? you know, a peaceful enough life and continue the business making, you know, uh, enough advancements of what their business model is and, and, and things like that. But uh, we're never going to sit there and say we can prevent 100% of stuff. We just need to be able to reduce our risk to a tolerable level. And that's what life is in general anyway. So so is our expectations of security flawed to begin with? And, and I mean that by saying, like, do we just set an unrealistic standard when it comes to how we do security where we're just like, even the littlest thing kind of- I think it depends stinks. on who the we is, right? If we look at a regulation or a compliance, maybe that is an unrealistic you know, view of security. And okay. so some of these things, I mean, frameworks, yes, we got to comply with them. Uh, some of them are good practices, but are they all perfect? Does anybody sit there and say like, hey, I am 100% compliant with PCI. I am therefore secure. No, I am 100% compliant with high trust. Am I secure? No, right? There needs to be other levels of security maturity on top of that. That's a, That's a starting spot, right? But it's not the end all be all. So it, it depends on who the we is of, are we viewing security wrong? But what is really right? I don't think anybody's figured that out yet. I hear the SOC 2 cartel is strong at making sure you don't get hacked. Yeah, but SOC's checking you on your own controls. So yeah, I'm just saying the SOC 2 cartel is at it, man. You put a SOC 2 in your system? I love when someone sends me a SOC 2 report. See, look how secure I am. And I'm like, yeah. you literally pay for someone to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll say it loud. Say it proud. Yeah. I call and anyone who... Well, I'm sorry. No, no, we're talking about the SOC 2 cartel. Well, I feel like we, we, I think that's one of the challenges that exist in security. And I'd love to hear your opinion on it because I think it's, 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 I think it's the pitfall of the security industry. We, so high trust isn't really a government it's, it's, it's not a government regulation. It's all the kind of the healthcare companies came together and were like, we're going to create our own damn standard and we're going to enforce it across the entire industry. And I kind of almost like that entrepreneurial aspect of it, right? Because it's they're not waiting for government, which sucks because if you get the government aspect of it, you know it's going to have some stuff in there that makes zero sense at all, right? 
do we need more kind of like versions of high trust for 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 standards well i, I think it's at least people are trying right it may not be the most well-baked thing but at least people are trying to start somewhere and they're trying to raise the floor right and it's like okay here's some stuff and everybody knows you write something down on paper whether it's your, your policy your standard or whatever it's almost immediately out of date you know based on the way the business is moving depending on you know what type of business you are and things like that so uh, these things are hard to chase right you, you want to be as broad as you can to cover as many people because that's another thing security touches every industry right and we're all sitting here as you know CISOs in this room and everything and we're not all in the same industry. We're in a lot of different verticals, even inside your company. Security is the one thing that touches every aspect of the company, whether it's marketing, finance, HR, you know, IT, things like that. It's across the board, no matter what. So uh, it, it's a lot of we're trying to cover a lot of different things. Right. And look, yes, PCI's. Uh, financial based, right? Credit card based. High trust is something that's going to be healthcare based. But when you have all those different types of data, right? And those different types of data could be commingled or, you know, depending on the products you're sending out in there, it makes it difficult. Some of those things butt heads with each other. Now they are trying, we do have to comply with those. Is there ever going to be a perfect formula or go back to the, how do we look at our overall risk? How as a company do we want to say, we're going to be okay with this risk? Now, our clients, right, our partners, our merchants, things like that, they have to overall be comfortable with how we're securing our business so that they can do business, right? Everybody's in it to make money at some right. point. And, you know, you talk supply chain, you know, I, I don't know if anybody in here is at the top of it. Everybody's somewhere in the middle, right? You got people above you, you got people below you. And how much confidence do you give the people above you? How much confidence do the people below you give you that they're therefore you can flow up to your, uh, you know, people above you. And it's really about building confidence in the system, right? Building confidence in the security program that you have. And that's what you really need to sell. And that's where you integrate with the business security wise and say, Hey, we're going to build this program that we can put in front of your partners and the sales that you guys are trying to make to say, Hey, you guys do business us. We're going to be, we're going to give you the confidence that your data is going to be secure. Right. And then your processes are going to be secure and your supply chain is going to be secure, therefore reducing your risk and then hopefully overall reducing their costs of doing business with us, which is what everybody's chasing anyways. What's your take? Because I'm interested. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It really comes down to maturity, which you guys were talking about before. So many times that so many companies that are immature around the security platform, they feel that, hey, if I'm compliant with compliance, with high trust, PCI, I'm that security. They think compliance is security. It's minimum policies or requirements to achieve something. And a lot of times it's, oh, what's that kind of gray area fuzzier? If I can get my, my auditor to agree to this, I've met, I've met the requirement. It doesn't mean that, mean that they're meeting the security requirements of what they need it. So these, all these different compliance efforts are great because they're helping steer people. They're the frameworks. But the problem is people, a lot of companies don't view it the proper way. They feel it. Okay. I'm secure because I have this kind of like what you said at the very beginning. And so that, that, the maturity of understanding what the compliances are trying to do for them, what they're trying to get them to accept. That's the critical piece. I think a lot of times that's missed, especially with these, these mid-sized or smaller companies. Um, even sometimes, you know, it's even the C-level sometimes don't understand what these compliance meet and, you know, what it takes to actually meet them. And they're minimums. You, you need to go above and beyond in some areas, depending on where your risk is. If you have a higher risk, meeting the bare minimums of these is not sufficient. You need right. to go above and beyond that. Yeah, it's funny. So I have a thing. Uh, in my team's channel of my entire department. So I call it meme post Friday. Uh, so Friday afternoons, usually when James is calling, um, I'll, I'll go 
post a meme or a picture or something, you know, sometimes related to security or, you know, just general fun stuff. Um, I saw something on Twitter that I took a screenshot of, and I can't remember exactly who to give credit for, but uh, they basically said um, security is what happens when you care about bad guys accessing your data. Compliance is what happens when you care about auditors accessing your data, right? And, and that's what it is. And what what's your risk? What's your threat profile? Is your threat actor the auditor or is your threat actor a real bad guy that's really trying to monetize and really hurt things like that? And look, we need auditors. We need the checks and balances. I'm not saying anything uh, bad about that, but it's all about how are we going to try and not only quantify, but qualify the risk, right? Different metrics and things like that, because some are here's the total. Some are here's how good of a percentage this is. And we really need to find that balance so that we can then inform our people, right? The above, the the executive committees, the boards, the things like that of saying, this is why you're paying me. This is why you're giving me a team. This is why you're, you know, letting me invest in these technologies and stuff because I want to reduce the overall risk to the company of what you guys are comfortable with. So you guys both brought up the idea of some sort of kind of balance between audit and compliance and risk and vulnerability management. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, right, that balance is it's it's it almost requires a full time job just to try to balance that. Right. It's 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 it, it's isn't, it's isn't that what our full time job is? Look, I mean, I, I personally think it's this job is relationship building. But it's part of those relationship is communicating that message to everybody in the organization. So, yes. So you're new in your role, right? So you're I'm new at this company. In this yeah, role. but you're new in this company. So he's very happy, right? He's like, it's new. Oh, hold on, I've it's been here new. over a year and a half, right? That's, that, plenty, that's still that's new, of time. but it's it's during the year and a half in the pandemic. How many people started a new role during the pandemic? Show of hands. Yeah. How many people? How many people start a new role in the pandemic when pandemic response was also their responsibility? Yeah, February 2020. Everybody went home in March, and pandemic response rolls up through my vertical. I've talked about Kevin, to Kevin, about this uh, for a while because <laughs> he's got the pandemic response, emergency response stuff in his role too. I think most people, most mature organizations, give that to a CISO, right? Um, so, and and it's also the faith that they have in both of you to do that. Right. I mean, no one would trust Phil with that. Like, right. I, you know, I, I kind of showed up and it was like, hey, this is yours. So I, I don't know if anybody really had that much faith in me. It was just like, hey, guess what? OK, give it to the new guy. Yeah, give it to the new guy. You know, are we going to somehow show that mine was the only hand up there? Yeah. Well, okay. we, we, we will let the record show that the only hand raised when Carl asked the question of himself was his own hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> let the record show that so that it's documented and then the animator when they do the animation for this will have absolutely yeah your, your... And i don't want to act like it was some hero thing i mean we had a lot of involvement from hr and you know different uh legal and, and different you know committees and things like that to really pitch together because everybody has a pandemic response plan nobody ever expected to use it right so uh, a lot of work and everybody... i think most people expected it for a week or two yeah. not for yeah, 18 so months yeah yeah and, and still going it's still, still going. going. Yep. So yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of good teamwork there of everybody, you know, coming in. It was just a, here's here's this thing that you typically don't always have to worry about, but you should. And you're really surprised talking with a lot of C-levels out there. 
part of the BCP plan pandemic really wasn't in there. They weren't prepared for it. They were, they was taken off guard. They were not prepared for the, the huge in uh, outflux of everybody working remotely. They didn't have laptops. They didn't have that. How do yeah. people go home? How do they secure it? You know, don't have enough network bandwidth coming in. Well, I can't get a technician on to do bandwidth because everything's shut down. Technicians aren't allowed in your house. I mean, those type of things. It was just, it was huge. Yeah. If, if you didn't have fast internet before the pandemic, you were, uh, um, you're, you, yeah, you were pretty much SOL. Yep. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it was very, it, it was, it, it, yeah. Everyone knew the one person who had the slowest internet connection. Yep. You're like, don't let him speak. Don't let him speak. Don't let him speak. Don't let him speak. Right. <laughs> um, um, keep that person away. So we're, we're almost time for, for Q and a, so I kind of want to give you guys each, uh, you know, about a minute to talk about really what it means for you. When you look at it, how what, what does it mean for you that a threat model chooses you? Uh, for me, it's going back to the business, understanding what somebody could monetize because that's what a threat's going to come after us uh, aggressively, right? That's going to be targeted. There's always the hey, we're too close to the blast radius, and you know you got wanna cry or you know something like that where. Uh, you maybe weren't initially the target, but something got, you know, a little bit loose. But, you know, when you're looking at you've got a certain level of maturity in your program, you really need to take it to the next level of what threats are really coming after me, because who's really going to try and hurt my business's bottom line by trying to monetize for themselves what I'm trying to monetize as an overall business with customers, uh, you know, brand reputation, things like that, other partners. Uh, so it's really being able to understand what you need to do and how you also communicate that upwards so that you can get the proper investments you need in you know, people, technology, um, and even the relationships of processes um, to be able to get to the level of risk that's going to be palpable to the company. A lot of times I walk into clients, large, you know, Fortune 100 companies, smaller companies, mid-size, and we, we kind of do an evaluation. Okay, number one, why are you talking with us? And a lot of times it's because they've had an incident. It's already too late. They want to shore things up. But other times, you know, it's because I realize there's a problem. And there's really been a shift over the past three years of that model of that threat model. They realize that they're a target and they're going to get targeted eventually. And those are the smart guys you go in. And then we talk about, you know, what's your security stack? What do you have in there? What do you need to do? To make you have, you know, you don't have the budget to replace everything, gut everything. What can we do to make you better? And that's always a big one right there. And that, you know, prevention is always a big part of that too. But also too, it's it's how do we make your staff work smarter? You have limited staff right now. You're having trouble getting people in. You're having trouble getting um, talent in. What can we do to make them better? What can you, you streamline what you have? Identify what you have. Get some new tools in to identify what you have. Get in front of that. Get what you can to, you know, prevent it. Identify it faster. Get in front of it. And then have a plan. What's your plan? If you were to get hit, what was your plan? Where was your fault? And then and walk through that. So a lot of that model is just finding out, you know, talking with people. What is your, they don't even know themselves until you start having that conversation with them. A lot of times they're thinking only one part. Hey, you know what? I need you for this. But like overall, but where do you fit? Where else do you have holes? Let's talk through that too. That's make sure you understand your full stack, your right. full risk. It's, it's, it's a lot of times it's around the people. It's all phishing emails. What can I do to prevent that? Well, that's one part of it. You know, there's other parts of it, too, that, you know, get your products working together in synergy. You know, you always don't need to go out and buy the newest shiny thing out there. But a lot of times you can add that in there and that will actually help you overall strengthen your security set. You, it's about risk. 
identify your biggest holes first, get them shored up, identify, you know, from your business model, what's going to impact production, what's going to impact you the most, shore that up. And that's just yeah. getting people to understand that and have that conversation. I think when we, you guys both brought up some really, really great points. Uh, I'm going to open it up to Q&A here in just a moment. I'm going to end the recording. But, but I will say this, when you often talk about communicating when people engage vulnerabilities, like you said, it's either they recognize they have a problem and they want to solve it really, really fast, mm-hmm. or they're on a they're in the middle of an event and they're trying to shore stuff up. And the biggest problem that a lot of times happens that kind of goes to our Friday 430 conversation, right? Which is how can you have your team actually be prepared yes. to predict and deflect? You know, yes. I don't you know, I think prevention is is a difficult word to swallow for any yes, practitioner, absolutely. right? But how can you really go in and deflect something and and reduce its impact? Yes. I think that's the goal of any practitioner is how can I reduce the impact of what's going to happen? Because it's going to happen, right? I mean, if someone brought up Capital One, um, I, I don't know who that was. I think it was the, the, the folks over there, right? But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to beep that out too now. All right. Um, great. I'm going to have a bunch of beeps on the podcast. Beep. Um, it'll be funny, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll use a really cool little thing. I may use the David Hurley scream. I don't know yet. Um, um, but the, you guys talked about Capital One, and Capital One to me was the perfect response that an organization could have to someone sending you an email going, I found your data. It was ninety nine point like seven percent of that data was encrypted. It was unusable. They got the email, and within nine days, that person was arrested. They had a, executed a full incident response plan in that time. They remediated it. They took care of it, and the guy still got promoted to a cybersecurity consultant. So, let's you know we still have a lot of maturity. We'll open it up to Q and. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.